Key Economic Releases Affecting Fixed Income Yields Insights into Sectors Influencing Fixed Income Securities How AAM Plans to Capitalize on These Themes for Your Fixed Income Portfolio The Portfolio Fix is a podcast series featuring members of AAM's investment and portfolio management team. We will discuss the timely issues affecting the fixed income investments of our insurance clients. Welcome to another episode of The Portfolio Fix, a podcast series from AAM. My name is Patrick McGeever, and today I'll be joined by Marco Bravo, who will discuss recent economic developments, and then Garrett Dungy will speak about the different healthcare policies of the two presidential candidates and how that is influencing our investment decisions in the insurance industry. So with that, welcome, Marco. Thanks, Pat. Great to be here again. Good. Um, During our last couple of discussions, we have focused on the Fed. And today, rather than trying to interpret Fed speak and policy, I thought we'd review some actual economic data. So um, why don't we start off with last week's unemployment report? Uh, What were your takeaways from it? Sure. Uh, Well, the main takeaway from the September employment report, which was released last week, was that the labor market continues to recover, albeit at a uh, what appears to be a a slower pace. So just to put some numbers behind that, uh, payroll employment increased in the month of September by 661,000. And that's significantly slower than the average of 1.6 million over the previous two months. Now, part of that slower job growth that we saw in September was due to uh, about 216,000 reduction in jobs stemming from layoffs by state and local governments, primarily in the education sector. Um, When you dig a little deeper into the job growth for September, uh, job growth was concentrated in those service-related sectors that were hardest hit, uh, namely uh, leisure and hospitality, retail, uh, and healthcare. Uh, turning to the unemployment number, the unemployment rate fell by 0.5 percentage points to 7.9 percent, but it wasn't as strong as it appears. The the decline in the unemployment rate was largely due to a 695,000 drop in the labor force as the household measure of employment rose by only 275,000. So as we sit here today, according to the household measure of employment, we currently have about 147 and uh, 147 million people employed, which is still over 11 million less than where we stood pre-COVID or, or back in February. Uh, so the bottom line with the labor market is it continues to recover, but we still have a long way to go uh, before it fully recovers. Uh, And with the pace of job growth potentially slowing, it highlights the importance of uh, additional federal aid package out of Washington in order to continue to to support consumption. Okay. And trying to predict that and the success of that is is difficult for sure. In the last couple of days, we've received both ISM manufacturing and service reports. Uh, Is that similar to the lukewarm 
uh, jobs report from last week, or did those reports indicate any significant expansion or contraction? Well, let's start with the the manufacturing side. Uh, So the manufacturing sector should continue to expand uh, as production needs to catch up with the demand for goods. So the ISM index, which was released last week, the manufacturing index, is used to gauge manufacturing activity. And it did fall slightly in September, but remains well above the break-even 50 level for that index, which signals further expansion in manufacturing output. Uh, and that, speaking of that output, it's still about 6% below uh, February level. So we've seen a strong rebound in goods consumption, uh, which has low- lowered inventory levels, and therefore we expect production to continue at a solid pace. Uh, On the services side, uh, we did see an improvement in the ISM services index. Uh, Yesterday, that index came out, uh, remains well above 50, and so continued expansion within the services industry uh, as well. So good news from both the manufacturing and the services sector. Okay, well, that's encouraging from an employer's perspective. What's your take on how the consumer is doing? There were plenty of consumer-related data points released over the past couple of days. Sure, and, and just to repeat something I've mentioned in, in previous podcasts, the, the recovery is really gonna be driven by uh, how strong the consumer is and, and, and consumer spending. So last week, uh, data suggests that consumer confidence bounced back fairly strongly in September the conference board's consumer index had its biggest monthly gain since April of 2003. And consumers' assessment of both current conditions as well as the near-term outlook improved last month, uh, possibly reflecting the gradual reopening of the economy, uh, improvements in the labor market, and a strong housing market, which is leading to higher home prices. Uh, having said all this, you know, consumer confidence index, that, that conference board index still remains well below its pre-COVID level with a number of risks, uh, potential risk to confidence in the near term, namely uh, a delay in the fiscal aid package, uh, potential slowing job growth, uh, a resurgence of COVID cases, uh, and uncertainty with the U.S. election. So it's important to, you know, continue to monitor these developments given the impact on consumer confidence and spending. Uh, with respect to spending, uh, we continue to see a rebound in uh, total vehicle sales. Uh, that number now is on an annualized basis uh, is at 16.3 million. So fairly strong recovery from the end of the first quarter. Uh, And spending, personal spending, last month also increased, albeit marginally, uh, continues to uh, continues to recover. So fairly good news all around with the with the consumer, but uh, some risks on on the horizon that need to be closely monitored. Okay, well, that's very helpful, Marco. I appreciate your thoughts on all those economic data points. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank you.
Next, I'm joined by Garrett Dungey, our senior healthcare and insurance analyst. So, welcome, Garrett. Hey, thanks, Pat, for having me. Sure. Um, we last spoke about a year ago, and you mentioned then that the uh, healthcare issues would be a high priority item in the upcoming election, and, and you were right on the money, so you get to come back a second time. Um, maybe you could provide us an updated view on what's taking place with healthcare and, and how we're positioning our investment given our expectations. Um, so I guess my first question would be um, maybe highlight the biggest differences between the two presidential candidates on healthcare policies. Just start by saying, um, obviously this has been a, a pretty divisive issue between both sides of the aisle. Um, and there are some differences between uh, each of the candidates' healthcare views. I think both are wanting to put forth policy that would ultimately lower healthcare costs, but they have different ways of doing that. Um, starting with Trump, um, he has had uh, three or so years now as president and during that time, he has supported and continues to support the repeal of the Affordable Care Act. Um, they uh, have had a number of lawsuits, um, and there's one in the Supreme Court right now to challenge the uh, legality of that law. Um, and he has almost had a few times where he has succeeded in getting rid of that law. So that continues to remain his uh, most important part of his healthcare policy. And uh, what he will replace that with is still kind of up in the air. And he has promised to reveal the details of his comprehensive healthcare plan to continue to cover pre-existing conditions uh, and lower healthcare premiums um, after the election. Okay. Um, and then on the other side, when we're uh, looking at Biden as the Democratic nominee and challenger, um, we have seen his policy uh, and where he wants to go with it. And actually, the, the debate last week was a bit of, of a surprise. Uh, he has moved a little bit more central than what he has campaigned on. Um, but when it comes down to it, uh, his plan rests on expanding and boosting the Affordable Care Act um, by one, increasing the subsidies um, and tax credits um, to lower the costs and premiums of the options on the exchanges. Uh, also uh, expanding financial assistance to those over 400% of the federal poverty limit and in addition, uh, expanding healthcare coverage to those in states that have not participated in Medicaid expansion. And I think from the debate, it was hinted that uh, with the new public option that he is pushing, uh, it's only meant to fill in the coverage gap um, among those who do not qualify for Medicaid or do not have a, um, or are not able to participate in an individual exchange. Okay. Um, so there's definitely a, a change of thought here, um, I think, with 
having a public option directly compete with the private uh, employer insurers. So to summarize the views on the two different candidates, Trump's primary policy with regards to health care is really to repeal the Affordable Care Act. And then there's still some uncertainty as to what he would do to replace it. Uh, and he hopes to lower health care premiums um, and lower prescription drug costs. Presidential candidate Biden, on the other hand, would look to support the Affordable Care Act, uh, provide a more detailed plan, and uh, he also would look to uh, lower prescription drug costs. Is that a fair summary? That's exactly right. Okay. So um, given that that Biden's health care policy would be certainly more inclusive than what President Trump's plan is, how do you think those policies would be funded? Well, for Trump's policy, um, there wouldn't, uh, since we don't have the details in hand, um, we wouldn't expect um, revenue raising policy in terms of higher taxes uh, for him to enact his plan. That's something he's uh, squarely against of, of raising raising taxes for Joe Biden. Um, obviously, these uh, the, the plans to boost the Affordable Care Act uh, will require additional spending. Um, and I think he's proposed a few ways of doing that. One, raising the corporate tax rate um, and also uh, raising taxes on uh, wealthier individuals and removing the Social Security cap tax. Um, or sorry, the Social Security uh, tax uh, cap. Okay. Um, so there's a few ways to go about doing that for Biden, but uh, ultimately it will result in um, higher taxes, hopefully lead to uh, the Democrats' platform goal of providing universal coverage. Okay. Um, the Affordable Care Act gets much of the health care headlines. Uh, but as you pointed out last year in our podcast, there's other very important health care issues that voters are concerned with. Uh, maybe you can spend a minute or two talking about what are some of those other issues that um, could change uh, with the two different candidates? Sure. Um, so obviously it's hard to take the ACA out of the picture. Um, the future of the ACA is definitely uh, a large concern for voters. Um, but along with the ACA came protections for pre-existing conditions um, and women's reproductive rights, uh, their choices and services. Um, so those are all at risk with uh, repealing the ACA. Um, and then on top of that, you potentially have all those people losing access to affordable health care uh, and, and, and being covered with insurance. So. Uh, that is a big concern for voters going into the, the polls um, for um, the, the upcoming election. Um, the other part, which both candidates are pretty aligned on, and it's a little bit split of how voters think that uh, both candidates would handle these issues, are lower prescription drug costs. We know that 
there are a number of ways to um, lower uh, costs and each and while each candidate may differ in policy, this is something that has bipartisan support in Congress and it's something that we could, we could see being done uh, whatever the next administration or whoever the next administration may be, whether it's Biden or Trump. Okay. You know, I recall now you had mentioned that both parties wanted lower prescription drugs and there was bipartisan support, but there never seemed to gain any traction. Why do you think that um, there might be more success in the next four years versus in the past three and a half years? I think healthcare is a very, very complex issue and anything that has to do with healthcare policy takes time uh, for the uh, HHS, CMS, um, different um, healthcare organizations uh, among the uh, industry participants, hospitals, uh, drug manufacturers, pharmaceutical companies, on uh, health insurers to come to an agreement on. So there's a lot of players. It's a very complex um, uh, industry um, that makes uh, one. Uh, one change really impact um, a lot of different players. So when you think about that, um, and then on top of just different ways that would go about lowering prescription drug costs, um, it becomes a very heated debate among um, the Republicans and Democrats. And there may be multiple ways of going about lowering those costs, but it's uh, it's all um, kind of uh, ideas at this point. Uh, and um, I think they'll finally, you know, after eight years, finally work to settle on one prescription that may work um, and um, come to an agreement uh, at, uh, within the next four years. Okay. Um, maybe this next question. Uh, supports that view. Uh, we've all observed the polling data in recent weeks and months and, and the betting odds, which suggest a Biden victory. Uh, it, it seems that the highest probability outcome at this point is for a blue wave, which likely means national health care support. So take a minute exactly, or take a minute to uh, explain what that means and and how healthcare insurance company bonds are likely to react to such a environment yeah so uh a blue wave or a democratic sweep um is definitely possible in this upcoming election um you can look at the prediction odds um as indicative uh that there are about 50 50 um uh, odds of that happening at this point um, and when we think about what Biden has put forth with his policy uh, to date, um, we know that uh, that it involves more national and governmental healthcare, healthcare uh, involvement with healthcare. So we know that Biden would look to pass a public option. Um, he would look to expand uh, Medicare eligibility uh, with 
that lowering um, the age down from 65 to 60, um, and kind of a little, kind of a little bit shaped that market a bit. Um, but we expect, um, even with that, uh, you need a certain majority um, within the Senate um, to to pass a lot of this healthcare policy that's seen as tra uh, trans, uh, I guess. Uh, transformative to where you can enact um, expanded Medicare or public option. Um, you need 60 seats. Um, right now, if Democrats were to win the Senate, um, it's likely that they only pick up four to five seats, giving them a 51 or 52 majority. And it's likely um, that they're unable to get uh, major healthcare legislation passed unless they use the nuclear option. Uh, we're unsure where Biden stands on that front. Um, he has not supported it in the past, but in recent weeks, he's uh, moved to more support of potentially using that option, which would allow major healthcare legislation to pass uh, with only 50 votes and the um, vice president being the deciding factor. So uh, with that said, um, that remains a risk for managed care companies. Um, I think if Biden were to win the presidency and the Senate were to turn blue, then um, I think we'd be looking through the first three months, four months of actually how Biden uh, moves forward with his healthcare policy. I think it's definitely uncertain of where he wants to go at this point and whether he moves more central or more left um, to align with some of the progressives in his party. Um, but um, I think when you're a um, managed care company and you're an investor and there's uncertainty of what he may do and there's that nuclear option always on the table, um, it's it creates uncertainty and it would cause um, those names to trade somewhat with a cloudy forecast. Um, and I would expect investors to price in some risks given the impact that more national government involvement in healthcare would have an impact on the number, the number of insureds by private insurance. Um, but again, um, it's likely um, that from the recent debate that Biden's moved a little bit more towards the center of the aisle. And we likely um, see, you know, just small, uh, smaller policy enacted that uh, doesn't change the picture too much for uh, managed care and hospitals. So does that mean you think there could be some headline risk and volatility in uh, the weeks following the election and then subsequently when we get more details on what the actual plan you could see a rebound in those bonds absolutely um, I think we will get that headline risk um, and obviously there's the ACA uh, which will have oral arguments right after the election and we won't know the decision for that for at least six months um, but there will be um, just a lot of uncertainty in the sector where um, 
until we know what Biden's game plan is um, and at least a direction he's going. Um, the, the names may trade wider, but um, I think with the roadblocks in the way of really pushing through um, something as transformative as in 2010 with the ACA, um, that uh, it's an opportunity for uh, investors in the space um, to really um, dig into some of those names um, with the um, likely outcome of not much change happening, um, even with um, the uh, um, Democrats controlling the White House, Senate, and, and House. Um, but again, it all comes down to whether there's movement um, on the, uh, the, the filibuster and getting rid of that with nuclear option. And, and um, that will be something that's likely telegraphed um, to the, 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 the sector. And um, it's uh, definitely a black swan event for, uh, I would say, managed care and um, healthcare in general. Okay. That's very helpful, Garrett. Uh, unfortunately, that's all the time we have. I think it's probably worthwhile to have you back very shortly after the election once we hear how, uh, once we learn the outcome of the election, firstly, and then secondly, how the ultimate winner chooses to proceed with uh, healthcare policy going forward. So uh, thank you very much for your time and your thoughts on this. Absolutely. Anytime. Mm -hmm. If you have any questions about what we discussed today, please reach out to your portfolio manager or contact our marketing team at aamcompany.com. During our next podcast, Marco will review key economic developments and will be joined by another member of our investment team. Thank you very much.